Okay. Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. This show is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Monday and Thursday evenings, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can also pick it up on numerous um, platforms, including our flagship Podomatic, Amazon, iHeartRadio, I, I and uh, about a half a dozen or so others. <clears throat> and we occasionally upload some of our shows on YouTube, but probably not this one. Generally, if I'm interviewing somebody, uh, I'll do that. So uh, this show is brought to you by Camp Constitution, which, among other things, runs a week-long family camp, a ladies' retreat, a weekend family retreat, uh, day-long activities, uh, evening programs, and starting tonight, as you, most of you will be listening to this, <clears throat> we're starting a constitutional study course in Alton, New Hampshire. And uh, this is a 12-week course Something that I've wanted to do for a while, when I first moved up here, there was a gentleman, uh, <coughs> Daryl Pack, that was hosting one, but his schedule changed, so it was not possible for him to continue. And he'd been doing it for several years, and it was a nice group. So um, our friends down in the village of Alton, uh, Beth and Peter Varney, are uh, willing to host it. They have a beautiful Greek revival house with plenty of room and a big old flat screen. And Part of this show isn't just to give you news, good news, bad news, but it's also to encourage people and to motivate them to do things. And, you know, one of the um, uh, so one of the issues is, uh, well, we need to have term limits because the incumbents keep getting elected. Well, that isn't always the case, but it's the case when the folks in that district do not get active, do not engage sitting on your rear end. Well, watching Fox and Newsmax isn't going to win the country back, folks. Uh, just flying a flag and voting on an election day isn't enough. And that's what, in fact, most people who will say this stuff, oh, we need to have term limits, you probably didn't even bother to vote. And not just in the national election, federal election, but the state elections or the town elections. And that's why the other side wins, not because of term limits, but because of lack of engagement. That's the issue. And when people say, well, we've tried this and nothing seems to work. Well, maybe you're not working hard enough or maybe you're not doing it right. Okay. Uh, but one of the things is for all of these people who are complaining, get active. And one of the things I recommend is host a constitutional study course. The one we're using happens to be from Hillsdale. You can buy it online. You can buy it from their website. Uh, I think you can also go on Amazon, not that I want to give them any business. But there are many, many other constitutional courses out there. Chris Ann Hall, uh, Pastor David Whitney of the Institute on the Constitution. And I'll, I'm talking about solid constitutional study courses. So you can host this in your own living room. Invite your friends and neighbors. This is simple stuff. Why don't you become a write letters to the editor? Become an op-ed write. So a letter to the editor is really an op uh, an op-ed editorial. Uh, get to know that editor of that local newspaper. You know, hey, give him a call and say, hey, look, can we go out for lunch? Can we go out for a cup of coffee? I'd like to get to know you. Uh, maybe if they have reporters, most of the smaller weekly papers do not have full-time reporters. But if they do. Uh, and if they don't, then you become a reporter. You go to an event and report on it. 
And little things like this can make a big difference in the community, especially in small towns where an election may be determined by 40 votes, 50 votes, even less. Become an opinion molder. Become actively involved in your community. Uh, and, and as you're doing this, you also are learning things, too. I, you know, I learn things all the time. I, I mean, I'm not. People look at me as I'm some kind of constitutional expert. I'm not. Uh, I know enough, I think, to get by and I can debate the subject, but I can't cite hundreds of case laws and how things were applied. And all. But but I, I learn all the time and uh, and I do have a little bit of handle on some of the case laws. And But, you know, there's some basic stuff in the Constitution. It actually is pretty simple. When someone will say, what do you think about this policy or that policy or this candidate or that candidate? I'll say, is it constitutional? And that's the first question that anybody should ask. Is it constitutional? Now, it was interesting. Um, there's a uh, lobbyist by the name of Ken Quinn. I've known Mr. Quinn for, oh, I think since 2012 or 13. And he uh, recently wrote a little hit piece against an organization that I used to work for. And I was very much involved for many church society. And one of the attacks he made is that we were against the John Birch Society was against the uh, the wanted to impeach Earl Warren, the former Supreme Court uh, justice, because of the uh, Brown versus Board of Education. We were against desegregating schools. And they think, oh, my goodness, what a horrible, horrible people. Anyone who would post that is evil. Right. But look at it from a constitutional perspective. Does the Supreme Court of the United States have the authority to determine the rules and policies of a school in Topeka, Kansas, which is where this took place, this issue took place? And if they have that, then they have they can interfere with anything. So even if there's a case that says, hey, this is wrong, we need to change this, it doesn't have to go to the Supreme Court. But because the Supreme Court ruled, actually they ruled six to one. Two of the jurists were not available, either not available or not or ill. I don't know the or didn't vote. So it was a six to one, and that led to forced busing. That now forced busing ended up destroying cities. I was a a student during the height of the forced busing in Boston, and because of the decision in 1953, it led to other things, and it led to a federal court order of forced busing. So here in Boston, well, when I used to live in Boston, you had neighborhood schools, and most people bought homes in neighborhoods because the school was within a was a block away, or you didn't have to get on a bus and drive across town. By the way, school buses are very unsustainable, right? Um, and my parents bought a house in Hyde Park section of Boston. We lived right across the street from the school. That's what's selling point. They said, hey, school's across the street. Can't get any better than that. Church is down the end of the corner. There's a there's a, there's a little shopping center in, in, in Clary Square, just a 10-minute a walk. Ideal place to live, right, growing up. But that that because of that 53 decision, that led to forced busing. So children in one neighborhood were being brought into other neighborhoods, black children into white neighborhoods, white children into black neighborhoods. And by the way, there were some there were some schools that were racially mixed because there were blacks living in Hyde Park at the time. There weren't many. It wasn't off limits to blacks. It wasn't segregated by law. But again, if you have a community that's predominantly one race or another, your school is going to reflect that. It's very simple. Uh, there were white people in predominantly black schools. And back then, there weren't a lot of ra- there wasn't a lot of racial animosity, but the forced busing brought it out, brought out the worst in everybody. There was racially issues, and 
the bottom line, folks, is that this Supreme Court decision said black children cannot learn around other black children. They need to be around white children and white teachers. They're inferior, and we need to bring them up to our level. That's what it said. That was that's paternic, paternalistic racism, which it, it may not be as bad as the person uh, 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 burning a cross on your front lawn, but this is the this is the so-called racism that the white liberals don't want to admit to. You know, this is the real systemic racism. This paternalistic notion that the poor blacks can't be can't really get things done. They're too. They don't say they're too stupid. Well, they've been denied opportunities, and we're going to make sure they get them. And this is a segue into uh, my critique of a documentary entitled "Will You Go to Hell for Me," which was uh, done by my my friend Vince Ellison. And I referred to him as my friend because uh, I first heard Vince on, I think it was Tucker Carlson on uh, Fox News or maybe Newsmax. I heard him on several uh, radio shows, local radio shows. And uh, at that time, it was sometime last late summer, I believe. Yeah, probably in uh, July. Uh, and he uh, authored a book entitled, and I'm not getting the, probably not getting the full title right, but the 25 most damnable lies told by the Democrat Party and how to refute them. And I got the book. And when I heard, I said, this guy's solid. I just got to, we got to connect with him. And I got a hold of our camp chaplain, Reverend Stevie Kraft. And I said, Rev, you got to get, you got to get this guy's book. You got to get a hold of him. So he went online. He actually got him on the phone which is kind of hard to do with a lot of people when they get name recognition, they become a little difficult to approach without uh, some intermediate, you know, a, a book, a book, uh, their, their agent or anything. But so Vince, uh, so uh, Rev got his name and his phone number and I got his number. I called him and uh, introduced myself. Was, 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 was very familiar with the Shirtler v. Boston flag case. In fact, oh, I must have been in the spring because uh, – uh, so not in the summer of, uh, it was the spring of last year because he told us on uh, May, uh, May 2nd, he's driving in his car and he's listening to the radio and they made the, the news announcement of our Shirtler v. Boston Christian flag case. When he heard it was a 9-0 decision, he said he pulled over on the road and he did a Holy Ghost dance. I said, we would have loved to get that on video. That would have went viral, brother. <laughs> so uh, so it was it was in the spring of uh, 2022. So uh, I got a chance to meet him. I drove down. He lives just outside of Lynchburg, Virginia, and he got a chance. I had breakfast with him. I spent three hours talking to him, and we, we could have spent another three or four hours. We just connected. He's in his uh, mid to late 50s, so I'm a little older. And so when you're that age, you have, we have a lot. He's a, he's a boxing fan. I'm a boxing fan. So we had a lot in common in that regard, and, he's, of course, he's a believer in the Lord. But I learned something from him that I did not know, which is what he brings out in the documentary. And I told him something that he didn't know at the time, which he mentioned in the documentary. He said that the man who wrote the I Have a Dream speech, Martin Luther King's speech, and by the way, I would say it's a beautiful speech when you listen to it. He talks about uh, judging people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. I don't think too many people of goodwill could disagree with that. He made a lot of biblical references, uh, and he said that he has a dream that the black children and the white children on the streets will play together in the streets of Selma, Alabama. Well, I think they may have been doing that before that speech. 
but that speech was written by a communist, Stanley Levinson. Now, I knew that King had a lot of communists that worked for him, and I knew the name, Stanley Levinson. I didn't know at the time that he wrote the speech. So here's an atheist communist writing a speech uh, that was designed for mainly people who have a Judeo-Christian worldview. This is evident that, you know, there's an old saying, the devil knows the Bible pretty well, and the devil's people will use the Bible. Uh, they'll quote things out of context all the time to accuse the brethren. Oh, don't judge. Don't you be judgmental. Oh, we, we say that all the time. Don't be judgmental. Well, let me ask you something about not being judgmental. If your son or daughter brings home some friends who are gangsters, who have police records, who are drug dealers, will you say, you know what? You're not hanging out with these kids. No way. Oh, you're being judgmental. No, they're drug dealers. They're pimps. They're prostitutes. They're criminals. That's not judgmental. It's fact. Okay. So if somebody is doing something evil, it's not judging them. It's fact. The Bible says to be not unequally yoked. Well, how do we know what's unequally yoked if we don't examine the, the facts? Is that being judgmental? So people use the scriptures. They twist it all the time. And we'll turn the other cheek. Yes, there's a time to turn the other cheek. There's a time also to bear the sword. As Jesus said, sell your cloak and buy a sword. And by the way, that cloak back 2,000 plus years ago, the average person didn't have a wardrobe, a closet full of clothes that they just went down to the local Walmart and bought. That cloak may have been their only garment, and that cloak served as a blanket as well. It wasn't just something they had plenty of. So you, he said, you have to make the sacrifice, sell your cloak to, to buy a sword. And if, if, he, if today he would say, sell your cloak and pay, buy an AR or buy, a, buy, a, buy a, uh, you know, an automatic weapon, because the sword uh, at that time was a Roman sword, and it was illegal for Jews to own. And that's another issue about gun control, which I don't want to get into too much right now. So this documentary, and you can actually go to the website, Will You Go to Hell for Me? And the question is those leftist Democrats, uh, he said that he, he believes the Democrat Party is the evilest organization in the history of the world. Well, I may not completely agree with that. <clears throat> then he makes a great case for it, though. He says... He said that uh, they're the you know they're the party of slavery. They were the uh, party of Jim Crow, the party. Uh, now they're the party of the oppression in the black community. Now, how, why is this? Uh, Vince made a case. He said that um, the Tuskegee Institute, and I think he I think he was said nine, nine before, uh, before 1920. So the 19, in 1920, he said that there were more self-made millionaires that more people that graduated from that school that became self-made millionaires than than Harvard, Princeton, and a couple of Yale and a few other Ivy Leagues. Now, I would say that many of the students at those Ivy League schools already were people of already inherited their wealth. They had parents or grandparents that amassed a fortune, and so they didn't really have to worry about becoming self-made. There's some, some, some uh, exceptions, of course. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with inheriting money. I wish uh, my parents and grandparents were filthy rich. <laughs> I wouldn't have any problems inheriting money from people. And if anyone wants to leave me in their will, please do. I'm not going to object to it. As long as the money was made by, uh, it wasn't made under nefarious purposes. Other than that, I can't accept money made by uh, evil purposes. Or if you want to leave it to Camp Constitution, that's that'd be okay too. <clears throat> But Vince, it, it takes a lot of courage for anybody 
to criticize Martin Luther King, especially a person who happens to be black, and that's Vince Ellison. So Vince, Vince said that he used to be a prison guard in the 90s, a tough job. And he's noticing how, why are all these black men coming to prisons? And, you know, at that point, he didn't have the whole picture. And he's saying it's because because of the white Dem- white Republicans. They all want to put black, black men in jail. So he started, uh, he had some ministries that went into the, uh, into the black community. Now he was from, he lived in, a, he grew up in a farm, a sharecropper's son. So the inner city wasn't, uh, you know, something that he, he grew up in. Uh, he also, he and his family were gospel singers, and he said that his father never had a hateful bone in his body, uh, never taught him to hate anybody. So uh, anyway, so he goes into the inner cities and he's learning things. He said, he said, finding a white Republican in the inner city is, uh, you'd, you'd have better chance finding a leprechaun or a unicorn than you would a, a white Republican. He said, no, it's the black hierarchy in these cities that are causing a problem. And so he did write a book called The Iron Triangle. And that Iron Triangle, and you see the picture, it's a, it's a black man with, uh, with cuffs shaped like, a, like a tri- an Iron Triangle. He said it's the black clergy, the black social worker, and the black politician. What they do is they deliver the vote to the Democrat Party. Most inner cities, 90% vote Democrat. And he said they buy votes, they steal votes. He said they'll promise you a bottle of booze and a and a pork chop sandwich if you vote. And they'll have buses, souls to the polls, and and they always vote Democrat. And he said, if you look at these various black politicians in Congress that have been there for years, he said, look at their districts. Are they any better than they were 20 and 30 and 40 years ago? The answer, of course, is no. They're far worse, and they still get elected. And he said, why should any of these black Democrats change their policies when they have 90% of the market share? It doesn't make any sense. He pointed out too, and this was others pointed these out, Robert Welch in his essay, uh, A Letter to the Negroes of the South. And by the way, the term Negro was a was really a neutral term back 60 years ago. Today, it might be considered offensive. And he pointed out, and Vince points it out too, that the uh, poverty level uh, in the black community was was diminishing greatly. I, I, there were some stats from 80 to 50%. So, so blacks were becoming prosperous. This was long before any civil rights legislation. Um, he said that they were, and he said that but before the civil rights uh, legislation in the, well, the 50s to early 60s, he said the uh, 80% of the f- black fathers were in the home. They were children, black children were born uh, in wedlock. And he said, today it's 20%. So 80% of the births are in the black community are out of wedlock. So the black family has been destroyed. It's been replaced by Big Brother, the big, the white man. And he, uh, he did some he, damning indictment of Martin Luther King. And to his credit, he said, of course, <clears throat> that King was uh, more, almost as popular as George Washington in this country. And he said, when King had already won the Nobel Prize, and he's down in Florida. I think it may have been Tallahassee, Florida, or somewhere in Florida. And he says, this little motel, he's trying to check in. He, of course, he's, he's, it's theatrical. That It was a segregated hotel. And Vince said, and, and Walter Williams used to say this too. He said, if a white man doesn't want me to, live, uh, to uh, do business, doesn't want me in his motel, I don't want to be in his motel. If a white man doesn't want me to eat in his restaurant, I don't want, I don't want him to be forced to have me eat in his restaurant. I don't want to eat in his restaurant, period. 
So <clears throat> there's a clerk, and he said the white clerk, who was like a $2 an hour clerk, and uh, wouldn't give King a room. And King was persistent. there. And the clerk calls the cops. The cops come and say, and King says, I want my dignity back. Like he said, this $2 an hour clerk somehow took King's dignity. And he said, when he heard that story, he said, he gets enraged. He said, because no man can take a person's dignity away. Dignity is given to you by God. And then he mentions the, 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 the King Memorial, uh, the big statue that's in D.C. He said, you notice that there's no mention of God anywhere on this monument. Interesting, isn't it? He said, why is the left, why did they love him so much? Because he delivered the vote to the Democrat Party. And then when the Civil Rights Act was being um, drawn up, this would be 1963, 64, after JFK's assassination. Uh, he said, Patrick Moynihan, the Democrat from Senator from New York, realized that the black man has to be part of the family. So any kind of legislation, welfare legislation, has to encourage the black family to be strong. So Moynihan had a meeting with King and some other civil rights leaders. And when he mentioned this, they basically threw him out of the room. They only, he said, I was, I was afraid of my, for my life. No way do we want the black man involved in the family. And this was King. And so they went back to, he went to Johnson and Johnson said, well, okay, that's what they want. That's what we'll do. And so he said that King is played a key role in the destruction of the black family, all for Democrat power in Democrat votes. So the Democrats throw a few crumbs into the inner cities that are crumbling, that are dangerous places to live, uh, all for, and it enriches the black politician, the black preacher. Not, and he mentions that there are exceptions, but most of the black preachers promote the Democrat Party. And his, the theme of the, sh the, the documentary is saying, if you support what the Democrat Party supports, you're going to hell. If you're a believer, if you're not a believer, you're going to go to hell anyway. But if you think that supporting abortion, homosexuality, this transgender nonsense, open borders, gun control, and all these other things, especially things like abortion and homosexuality, he said, if you support these things, he said, you're going to go to hell. He said, no way around it. So you're willing to go to hell for these people. That's the theme of the, of the documentary. And when you, you start showing it, you say it has a warning. He said, this is not something that liberals want to see or progressives want to see. It's, it, it, he tells some tough truths. So some people don't want it. They'll get very angry. They get very angry because they're being convicted and they don't want to deal with the conviction. So they just get angry and call him Uncle Tom. And he said that he fears no man. And he said, uh, uh, I have Jesus Christ in my 38. Uh, so I fear no man. And he said, uh, no white man will take my dignity away from me. No black man. Uh, he said, and he freed him. And oh, he said Martin Luther King, one of his speeches, it may have been I Have a Dream speech, I'm not sure. He said that 1865, he said, uh, 100 years later, he said, the black man is not free. He said, that is a lie. He said, freedom is something that you, you take. You don't ask the white man to give it to you. He said, that's a lie. He said, we're free. We've been a free people. And he said, King lied. He also mentioned King's sordid uh, background, uh, his pr promiscuity. Uh, and 
sort of, and it was overlooked because he was doing something so-called a greater good. So we overlooked that his promiscuity. It wasn't just an occasional moment of weakness, but it was a constant pattern, orgies and homosexual orgies that were going on in these ranks, maybe not King specifically, but in their ranks. <clears throat> and he mentioned the communist. He said that, um, uh, the, the King was photographed at the Highlander Folk School in Monteagle, Tennessee, which was nothing more than a communist training school. And he was pictured with some of the top communist uh, US, USA Communist Party officials. <clears throat> and when he was in the White House, he said, John Kennedy took him aside. He said, look, I'm backing you. I support you. So if we go down, we go down together. And he said, you've got communists in your ranks. You've got to get rid of them. He named them. He said, you've got to get rid of them. And King didn't get rid of them, and he kept them on. So why would this man of God, this clerk, this Baptist, and oh, Vince also, which is something I didn't know, Vince um, said that he was uh, excommunicated from uh, that nation uh, for heresy, and he started his own denomination. And that uh, uh, Raphael uh, Warnock, the, <coughs> the Marxist uh, clergyman who's now a U.S. Senate, he just got reelected by a narrow margin, um, just enough, probably get that, that, that inner city black vote enough to make a difference. And he said, he's a Marxist. He's, he's a racist. Uh, Vince also, um, well, I, well, Vince told me about Levinson writing the speech. And I told Vince that Martin Luther King was the first recipient or one of the first recipients of the Margaret Sanger award, 19, <coughs> 1966. He didn't know that. And you can go online and find that out. So he researched it and sure enough, King was and gave a speech. So here was King hobnobbing with the likes of Planned Parenthood. Initially, Planned Parenthood's goal was to have birth control in the black community, in the Hispanic community, in the uh, Mediterranean community, Italians. The, she, Margaret Sanger thought all of these uh, brown-skinned people and black-skinned people were inferior, defective weeds, and, uh, and of course, she launched the Negro Project, which has been successful beyond her wildest imagination. Why do I say that? Because the black population, even with immigration from uh, other nations, has stayed at about 13, maybe even a lower, lower than that, 13%. And most black uh, pregnancies, especially in uh, New York City, more than half end in abortion. I think the abortion rate, uh, he cites these statistics. He said the abortion rate I think is like in the black community is like 35%. If it's 30, 20% or 15% in the white community, it's double that. Then you look at the per capita too. So you look at, also had a, hit a very interesting chart. It was a wealth chart and it listed Americans by their ethnic group and their, their medium income. He said on the top, we're not white people. We were, whiteies were in the middle somewhere, like $57,000 a year. Filipinos, Japanese, Korea. I think Koreans were a little bit under uh, white Americans, but who was on the bottom? Black Americans. Why are they always on the bottom? And he pointed out, he said, every crack house is run by Democrats. Every whorehouse is run by Democrats. Every inner city, every government school in the inner city is run by Democrats. He said, they're all failing. They fail constantly. And he said, they're designed to do that. 
because if they would, they would have made some changes. And he said, why would a black politician who gets 9% of the vote do anything to change? And he said, they're not going to change until we make them change. And he said, if the black Christian and the white Christian can get together, he said, there won't be a force on earth to stop us and that the Democrat strong stranglehold on this nation in the inner city, he said, will come to an end. So it's a hopeful message, but some people just don't want to hear it because they're very comfortable in what they do and they don't want to be called names. And you're going to be called names, folks. But you know what? I think it's worth being called names and suffering some of this. Uh, we just push back. There's more of us. There are more good and decent people in this country and in this world than there are of evil people. And by the way, these people are evil. They're lost souls. They need to be prayed for. But meanwhile, we need to work to take our country back. So please, I encourage you to get a copy. Uh, you can buy it online. Just go to the website. Uh, will you go to hellforme.com or .net? You can uh, live stream it, show it to your family members, show it to your church. We've showed it to uh, some groups and uh, it gets, gets getting really rave reviews. It's about it's 90 minutes long, which can be a little bit long for some people. You might want to show half of it, take a little break, and then show the rest of it. But it is definitely, man, you've got to get this. Uh, and, and just and, and, and Vince, as I said, he's going to be at our camp this year. We're looking forward to him uh, to be there physically. And But we're running out of time. So, hey, folks, thank you for listening to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. And until next week, may God richly bless you. And happy Resurrection Sunday. <laughs>